16, the latter part of that verse says, and from the wrath of the Lamb. And so this morning, I'd like to preach to you on the subject, the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb. See, our text today continues with the beginning or the first quarter of that seven-year tribulation period when God will pour out His wrath on the unbelieving world. We're talking about the first set of judgments that initiate the tribulation period. These are called the, the seal judgments. Remember, the Lord Jesus went over to God the Father at the throne, surrounded by those uh, four and twenty elders and by the four living creatures, the living beasts. And he went because he was authorized to take that document, that scroll, out of the hand of God the Father that was sealed with seven seals, which would have been hot wax placed with a ring and a signet and stamped on there so that it had to be sealed individually off to get the message which was inside. And so he's been telling all these judgments, and the Lord Jesus telling these judgments, he seals off in chapter number 6. These are the first uh, set of judgments, which are called the sealed judgments. All right, remember the first four of the seven release the four, what we call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen are waiting and ready to, re, to be released uh, to initiate that tribulation period. These four horsemen of the apocalypse. We have the white horse, remember the rider, on which is the Antichrist that imitates everything God does. There was a red horse with the second seal that represents war and bloodshed that will follow after the Antichrist breaks that treaty and that peace treaty with Israel. There'll be the Antichrist, there'll be bloodshed, there'll be war, and because of all those who have been called out to war, then the third seal is the black horse, which will be famine, the shortage of food, the rationing out of food, and with the result of that is release of the fourth horse of the apocalypse, being the pale horse, which represents death and hell. But today we'll be dealing with the fifth and the sixth ju- judgment seals, you may ask in this chapter, where is the seventh seal? Where did it go? Because you say there's seven seals to be followed by seven trumpets and seven vials. And in between those will be seven woes, okay, that will be placed out there. And so you say, where is the seventh seal? Well, it's found, if you would, just turn with me over a chapter in Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 1. It will tell us where that seventh seal is released and peeled away. The Bible says, and when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a space of half an hour. You'll notice after that, if you have a study Bible, you notice the beginning of the seven trumpets. So with each seventh, or the end of the seventh seal, you have the release of the seven trumpets. And on the seventh trumpet, you have the release of the seven vials or the seven bold judgments. Okay, so that's where that one is, seven segments of judgments and then take the next step. Now, chapter number 7 is what we find a lot in the book of the Revelation, which is what we call a parenthetical section. A parenthetical section. We're going to, the Bible is going to elaborate a little bit on that, on the seals and the martyrs and the tribulation period and those that are saved during the tribulation period. And so you see many of those in the book of Revelation, but things are happening in sequence, but there for a minute we have a, a parenthesis, a parenthetical section in which things are going to be elaborated on just a little bit more and a little more insight that goes along with the fifth and the sixth seal that we're going to talk about this morning. 
So that's where that one goes. You could say a parenthetical section or an intermission. Let's talk about the fifth and sixth seals very quickly. Number one, what is the fifth seal? The fifth seal is going to be martyred Christians. Martyred Christians. And then later, we're going to see the sixth seal, which re- represents manifold cataclysms. Manifold cataclysms. Let's look at the first one, the fifth seal. Look at verse number nine with me again, please. The Bible says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they bear. So there's a couple things I notice in here I want to point out. Number one is the altar. And then the, the second thing I want to point out under that is the avenger. The altar and then the avenger. So the, the altar, first of all, the first fifth seal reveals martyred Christians who will die during the tribulation. Number one, it says they are souls. Now notice these are souls that have died during that seven-year tribulation period. This, we need to understand something, that these that are saved during the tribulation period are not to be confused with those who are in the church age now where we live, the church age, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, that have been raptured out in Revelation chapter 4, we're in heaven. Those who live in the church age who are alive during that time will be raptured out. Those who went on before us and died before us will go along with us. Those who shall ever be with the Lord. So we're in heaven. So it's not referring to those people that's been uh, taken up in the rapture of the church. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. These souls that are crying out are those who have been uh, saved during the tribulation period. They are the ones that are martyred for the faith. Now, what does it mean to be a martyr? Well, the word martyr, the root of that word means to be a witness, to be a witness. You see, in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament priest presented an animal to sacrifice. The victim's blood was poured out during the tabernacle on the base of the brazen altar. The souls of the martyrs are under the altar and the under the altar, indicate that their lives were given what sacrificially to the glory of God. So these are people who have died a death because why? They are a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. Now, there'll be a whole different, if we could say, a different economy in the tribulation period than what we're used to today, and I'll talk about that here in a minute. So notice who these souls are. The blood that cries out from under the altar is those who have died during that tribulation period. Brings me to my second thing is that you must understand there will be those who will be saved during the tribulation period. Let me say that again. There will be a massive multitude of people that will be saved during that seven year tribulation period. So there's going to be people saved. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, what I've done is I looked at chapter 10 and chapter 7, and there's going to be here is the two groups or classifications of people that will be saved during tribulation period. Number one, we understand that the Bible tells us, if you look at chapter 7, verse number 4, it says, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So in that time, God is going to, there's going to be 144,000, which is 12,000 from 12 tribes of Israel, from Asher and Dan and so forth, Issachar, all those, that 
say 12,000 in each tribe that will be the Jewish people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, saved during that time. So it's going to be 144,000. But it doesn't stop there because many false doctrines say that there's only going to be 144,000. But we got to look ahead a little bit. Not only will there be 144,000, but in Revelation chapter 7, when you look at verse number 9, we see the vision of the Gentiles who are saved during the Great Tribulation. So we see the Jews will be saved, but then number two, the Gentiles that are saved in verse number 9. And it says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindred and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So not only 144,000 Jews, 12 out of every tribe of Israel, but John said, I've seen an innumerable, it couldn't even be counted, the number of people that were saved during the tribulation period. Now, with that being said, I want to mention this, that we say it's a different economy, so to speak. There's something else I want you to understand this morning. However, uh, these people, you've got to understand, will pay a tremendous price a tremendous price for their faith. A tremendous price for the faith. These ones that are saved during this time will have to pay an ultimate price that I don't think a lot of people today would be willing to pay this, this tremendous price for the faith. I want you to turn with me Revelation chapter number 13 and verse number 15. Revelation 13 and verse number 15 gives us more insight about the tremendous price that will be paid during the tribulation period for those who are saved and profess and witness Christ during that time. It says in verse 15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should go both to his both feet, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark from the right hand or on their forehead, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Herein is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and sixty-six. Let us see him get the equivalent 666, 666. The number of man, man was created on the sixth day. Uh, man is imperfect, the number seven being perfection. So man, we're some right short of being uh, perfect. That's why we need a Savior, folks. But however, they'll pay a tremendous price for the faith, and that tremendous price will be of great persecution, of great suffering, that they will have to go through during that time. The great thing that they will go through is that if a person is saved during the tribulation period, that person will be forced by the Antichrist and by the hints of those who follow him that they will not be able to buy or sell unless they have the mark of the beast, which is 666. Now, I don't know if that is that down through time you've had people uh, give opinions or ideas. I don't know if that will be a literal 666 on your right hand or your forehead. I don't know if it will be some kind of computer chip. I don't know exactly what 
the mark of the beast and your beating. But all I know is this, that if you do not have the mark of the beast during the tribulation period and that economy, then you will not be able to to buy or sell or trade without the mark of the beast. Now, I'm telling you right now, you think about the tremendous pressure that will be placed on an individual who, we don't have that pressure today. Now, in foreign countries, there's been some pressure. Down through history, there's been some pressure. But I want you to think about something. Some people have told me, I'll never forget, when I was an early Christian, I went to a fellow's house on an early visit, and he had a drinking problem, and the pastor was talking to him about that. He said, you know, you need to get right with God. You need to be ready. You need to be ready for the hereafter. I mean, there's an eternity. There's a heaven to, you know, heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And you really need to be thinking about where you're going to spend eternity. And we went to his house. I'll never forget what he said. He said, we went in. Before we even got started, he says, I, I believe I can make it. I believe I can make it. And the pastor says, what do you mean you believe you can make it? He said, I've been thinking about this. And he says, if I get over here in your tribulation period, he says, I believe I can make it. And then I can make sure this thing is real. I can make sure that everything is correct and accurate. And when I get in there, then I believe I can make it. Well, guess what? He didn't make it because a couple years later he died and never even had that opportunity. But I'm here to tell you, imagine your children, your grandchildren. You're in the tribulation period and you're not saved with those who are born during that time. And they need nutrition, they need food, they need shelter, they need things. And you're telling me you're going to sit there and watch them starve to death because and, and refuse the mark of the beast. Or either the other alternative is to take the mark of the beast and to be able to buy and sell and trade and have your doom uh, sealed for hell and ultimately the lake of fire. See, Christians and Christianity have been persecuted throughout history, but this will be the most intense today. Matthew 24, 9, which is a correlation with Revelation chapter 6. The Lord Jesus said, In the Mount Olives of Discourse, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's what he's talking about. In Matthew 24, 13, he says this, But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And that's what that's talking about. That's not talking about losing your salvation. No, if you're, you're saved, the Bible teaches we have eternal, everlasting life. We're sealed unto the day of redemption. It's not talking about that. What it means is if you're saved during the tribulation period, then what you'll have to do is you reject the mark of the beast, you know, you know to be able to buy, sell, and trade, then you're going to have to endure the persecution until the end to reject the mark in order to endure to the end and be, and be found faithful at that time. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and they shall, then shall the end come. Let's talk about something else. Not only did, did we talk about, number one, under that, we talked about souls, what these souls represent. We talked about there will be those who are saved, 144,000, innumerable, innumerable multitudes. We talked about Christians and Christianity. But let's talk about, third thing is the word slain. The Bible says here, of them that were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they notice what it says, which they hailed. Now what does it mean to be slain? What will happen in the tribulation period is what will be brought back 
is a way of persecuting Christians will be the guillotine. It will be the beheading for the faith. If you reject the mark of the beast for the long tribulation period, because if you take that mark, you're going to go for hell. Well, you got to reject it. And so if you reject that mark, well, what's going to happen is you will be beheaded for the faith. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, there's a verse in the Bible. That is Revelation chapter 20, verse number 4. You can write that in your margin of your notes. John says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Something we come up with on top of it. The Bible teaches that in that time they will be beheaded for the faith. The next thing I want you to notice in this, and we're going to stick to it, is Satan. Satan. There's one thing I want you to understand here before we move on. We live right now in one of the greatest time periods in all of human history. Biblically. Biblically speaking, we live in the church age, the age of grace. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're not saved here this morning. It is simple. It's not complex. The Bible says if you confess your sins, uh, He's faithful and just to give you the sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, ask forgiveness for your sins. He will come to your heart and live and give you everlasting eternal life. And you will, the Bible says, He has not appointed us unto wrath. And so you will not have to endure the tribulation period because if you're saved now, the trumpet sounds, which is the next event on God's prophetic calendar the rapture of the church, then we're out of here, folks. I don't have to endure the seven seals and the seven judgments and the seven woes and the seven vials. I don't have to worry about taking the mark of the beast. You say, why? Because I'm saved. I'll be out of here. I'll be in heaven. And I trust you will be too. No one in a Bible-believing church hears the Word of God uh, should have to endure the tribulation period. But let me tell you, if you're sitting here this morning, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. If you've heard the truth prior to the rapture, you've been given the truth, you've been told the truth, you know the truth, you rejected the truth, and you've rejected Christ, then anyone living in the church age where we live right now who thinks they can put off salvation until after the rapture will not be saved during the tribulation period. I'm going to read it again. Anyone living in the church age who thinks they can put off salvation until after the rapture will not be saved during the tribulation. Why is that? It's because anyone who has heard the truth, know the truth, and has turned from it will believe a lie. You won't believe the truth now. You won't believe now. You won't repent now. You won't get right with God now in the church age. When you get saved right here, and probably the worst thing that ever happened is when you come up before the church and present yourself because you got saved, somebody down the way may say something negative or critical towards you. That's the only problem persecution you're ever saved. Because if you're not saved here this morning, I guarantee you come down here and you get saved, there will be rejoicing in the presence of the angel over one sinner that repents. And not only that, there will be some rejoicing down here. How do I know this? Well, Second Thessalonians 2.11. Recall, God shall send strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Second Thessalonians 2.11. Now, 
uh, fell unto the earth of the emus and asteroids that are across the earth. Heaven departed as a scroll rolled up in the parchment. And the Bible says this, which is tremendous and amazing to me. Every mountain and every island were moved and jarred and shifted out of their places. This is prophesied in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 30 and 31. He said, I will show wonders in the heaven and the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Joel 3, verse 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened and the stars without their shining. Isaiah 13, 9 and 10. Behold. The day of the Lord cometh, full both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate. He shall destroy the cities thereof out of it, and the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. So that's what we see cataclysms. We see manifold various things happening, great earthquakes, sun becomes dark. Moon becomes as blood, stars fall from heaven. We have the mountains and islands removed out of every place. Let's move on to the second thing, and this is amazing to me. The second thing is the nature of man. We've seen nature go wild, go crazy because of the six seals. Let's look at the nature of man. Folks, those left on earth during the tribulation period will be those that understand it. At this point, when we come to this point, We've had those saved, so who are we left with? We're left with those who have ultimately refused the Lord Jesus Christ. All those who've been saved have been saved, and so we're left with those who are just not going to trust Him. This speaks of a different class of people. Verse 15 says, The king begins to list the kings of people, rich people, chief captains, mighty men, every bondman, and every free man will do what? They will as it says in the latter part of that verse, they, will, they hid themselves in the dens into the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Where they try to hide from God uh, then rather face God, they hide in dens and caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Now, here's something amazing to me. Instead of repenting, they run from God. So they run from God instead of running to God. Number two, these are a praying people, but they're not praying to the rock of ages. They're praying to the rock. And it says in verse number 16, And they said unto the mountains and rocks, Fall on us. They are praying that the rocks will fall from the mountains, that the caves will collapse and kill us and destroy us, and that they'll die. Okay? So they pray the rocks, Fall on us. Fall on us. In this terrible judgment. But in, they pray that, number two, they pray the rocks instead of the rock of ages. Number three, they hide in fear rather than come to faith in Christ. Let's say something about fear in conclusion. What the Proverbs teaches, folks, fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is the beginning of knowledge. You say, preacher, are you trying to shock me? Are you trying to scare me? That's not my intention. I'm preaching to you with the truth and let the chips fall where they may. But I don't see how in the world this shouldn't shock you. The fear, healthy fear, is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 29, 25 says, But the fear of man bringeth a snare. 
Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 13. We'll turn that on Wednesday night. Look at Solomon's conclusion in the 12th chapter, 7 on life. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and sound mind. Let me end with this verse right here. The Lord Jesus said this. There will be those who have to make a decision. You go from your tribulation period, you have to make a decision to follow Christ. They will also reject the mark of the beast, go hungry, starve, starvation, not be able to buy, sell, clothing, take the mark of the beast. They reject, they say, first of all, reject it. Be converted to the faith and joy to the end. Those who here accept the mark of the beast, but they will ultimately be betrayed because you'll have a hand of hell in your end, and also a rapture of the night. And here's what the Lord Jesus said in his earthly ministry. He said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy. Savior, for one day will give us eternal judgment. We as servants, now or later, we're going to make this judge. Would you stand this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around? Christians are praising God. Let's raise that place right there.